Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sacco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And we're going to jump right into this one because we are even more blessed, sorry, Wes, to be joined by ESPN NBA draft analyst, Jeremy Wu, for his second time joining the Pistons Pulse. Jeremy, I know it's a busy time of the year for you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of that busy schedule to join us today. Yeah, absolutely, man. No doubt. It's uh, starting to get busier this time of year, uh, but also a lot, I think a lot more fun to you know, start thinking about the draft and uh, what may happen. Just dive right into it. Just how different has this cycle been? Uh, you know, just given, uh, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty about the number one guy pretty much up until 30 minutes before last year's draft, but there's not, any uncertainty this year has been uh, pretty much the same prospect for a few years now. Uh, you know, can you just give us your overall insight into what makes Victor Wimbanyana such a generational prospect? A lot of things to be excited about with uh, with Victor. Uh, obviously, we're all going to talk about it a lot um, and continue to. Um, but uh, I think I think the like in a nutshell, it's just like obviously he's super tall, uh, but to not only be super tall, but um, to be, you know, potentially a very, uh, very modern shot creator type of player uh, with the you know, the ability and the skill to shoot over people uh, and to be efficient, uh, you know, someone you might be able to really run your offense through, uh, you know, being that type of player and also being uh, at the same time uh, potentially one of the best rim protectors in the NBA uh, in the same player, you know, that's kind of crazy, right? Just just combining those two things, uh, and so you know when you take you know, the significant uh, upside he offers on both sides of the ball. Uh, and you factor in his intangibles, his competitiveness, how smart he is. Um, it all adds up really well. And then, then you look at the production uh, that he's uh, put up this year, uh, sort of playing as the focal point of his team in France. Uh, really his breakout year as well. Um, you know, all the signs are pointing up for him. Uh, so I think a lot to be excited about. And he really lives up to the hype. Like, you know, you go see him. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's something I think no one's really seen before. It's hard to compare him to other players. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice when, you know, we have someone like this with this type of stature as a prospect, uh, and they actually back it up and you don't feel bad, uh, getting, you know, hyping him up or feeling excited because he, you know, he more or less, uh, he walks the walk. So you brought up the offensive end and you kind of, you know, talk about running the offense through him. What would you say his best offensive skill set or sets are right now? Like if you're going to run your offense, you know, the Detroit Pistons draft Victor and they're going to run a set or, you know, for an entire quarter, the offense through him. What would that kind of look like, Jeremy, in terms of where he's going to get the ball and where everybody else needs to be, kind of what he can do the best? You know, he's kind of fits the mold. Um of this kind of modern positionless uh, offensive player, you know, he just happens to be seven foot three or four or however tall um, he is in shoes. But, you know, I think it'll matter obviously which team he goes to, um, how, how creative the coach is. Uh, but I, I mean, I think uh, obviously it's kind of a dream to have, have someone who, who may be that immediately versatile. Uh, you know, um, you were talking about the Pistons, you know, you have, um, uh, obviously, uh, a, a really high feel uh, perimeter playmaker with with Cunningham. Uh, you have Ivy who can really generate downhill uh, attention from defenses, and that's you know his strength right now. 
Uh, I mean, the, the synergy between those three guys, I think, would be interesting to see. Um, I think, obviously, with Victor, a lot of two-man game possibilities with him as the screener or, or even him as the ball handler, right? I mean, Kate is big enough. You could have him screen. Uh, I'm just, you know, spitballing about, you know, what, this, what it could look like. But um, a lot of interesting possibilities uh, like that. Uh, I think, you know, you can kind of flash him around. He's going to be able to catch it because he's so tall. Uh, his ability to kind of receive the ball anywhere and then, you know, turn and face and sort of get to his jumper um, from anywhere uh, is a huge, huge advantage, obviously, um, that most players don't really have. I mean, Kevin Durant is really the only, not to say that he's that level player yet or, or will be necessarily, but uh, it's it's hard to, you know, compare the way he plays on offense. But uh, the way the way that, you know, KD has always been able to get his shot off over people, um, Victor should have some of that, right? He can handle the ball really well. Uh, he can, you know, play in space. He can isolate against, uh, you know, an advantageous matchup. Uh, so for him, some of it's also going to matter, you know, his shot selection as he gets used to the NBA, uh, you know, he can kind of score from wherever. So it really matters, you know, he, he'll have to sort of figure out where his best spots are. But uh, I mean, it, it's fun to dream about really um, with a different range of things he can do. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think he can be played all over the floor. I think uh, that's part of the, part of why he's so exciting. Jeremy, you've been doing this, uh, you know, uh, prospect analysis thing for, a good while now, I guess for you, when did, you know, when we sort of become, you know, this prospect who's been on the radar, I mean, he's been on the radar for a few years. I guess for you, around the time, when did he really sort of emerge? And what have you seen just in the last few years that have enabled him to maintain that hype? We've seen a lot of other prospects maybe get that level of hype, but then eventually they kind of fall off. Uh, what's allowed Wimby to continue to keep this momentum going when he's, you know, really been in the spotlight, you know, since he was a young teenager? Yeah, I mean, I've known about him for a few years. Uh, I had not seen him live until this year when they came to play Ignite in Vegas in October. Um, and, and honestly, like, you know, I watched the under-19s. Um, you know, France lost the USA that year uh, against uh, Chet and those other guys. But, uh, you know, Victor was the almost single-handedly, you know, if he hadn't gotten in foul trouble, France was probably going to win that game in the final, I remember. So... Uh, that was, I think, kind of when it became pretty concrete. And, you know, you see him against these American guys, and he's just a different level of prospect. Uh, but I'll, I'll be honest, like, I still had questions even coming into uh, Vegas just because I had not seen him play in person. I was not as familiar, you know, since I don't go to Europe that often. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, for me, it was really as soon as I saw it uh, in October, I was like, all right, whatever, like, this is done. Uh, it's a wrap. Um, this is unusual, uh, you know, unique, unique player, um, something I hadn't seen before. And it was, it was fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I would say he's been on the radar, but again, it's once you, once you see it live and it's kind of like actualized in front of you, it kind of changes how you felt. So it wasn't like I was skeptical, but I didn't know some of the stuff that he could do. And and, and some of that was, you know, due to his situation, uh, the season before this, uh, with, um, Asvel, which is the previous club he was on. Uh, Euroleague club. He wasn't playing as many minutes. He wasn't in a super featured offensive role. Uh, so between him, you know, going to a new team where he had offensive freedom and just, I think, working very hard to um, expand his own skill set, I think we kind of saw everything kind of just clicked for him at once. And uh, his mom- the momentum with his game has continued into the season. You know, he hasn't missed any time, knock on wood. Um, he's been available um, and his team's had success. So it's, 
Uh, all those things have, have, have gone in his <laughs> uh, pointing the right direction for him. I mean, you watch this guy do what he does offensively, and it really stands out. But can you kind of talk about the defense? What What is he going to bring? And, and again, we can kind of tie this into the Pistons. How is he going to make life easier or better on the defensive end for you know guards, you know, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, and, and everybody else around him? Just what is the impact or what could be the impact on that end of the floor adding Victor Wimbenyama to your team? The way I've, I guess I've kind of like said this for, for a while with him is like just the area that he occupies and can cover in a relatively short amount of time is just massive, right? I mean, he's very tall. He's very long. Uh, he has good instincts and anticipation. Uh, and he has pretty quick feet, especially for someone who's that tall. So knowing that he can kind of rotate over very quickly, uh, he has the ability to kind of gamble selectively uh, and often you know get the ball whether it's a blocking the shot or you know, going to intercept a pass or just deny like he he really can get away with a lot being that big um i, I think with i think there's always when we're talking about defenders i think there's a just a even just like a visual aspect for uh, as a as a defensive presence like do you have a physical presence like if you're the other team and you have the ball uh, you know, the top of the arc and you see this guy down there. I mean, it's a deterrent, right? So like, even just by being out there, I think he, uh, he has that impact right away. I mean, there are not many guys who are as tall as he is just period um, in the NBA too. So uh, I think day one, I think that, that there's going to be significant defensive impact from him being in the game. Cause guys, guys are going to know, you know, not only can he rotate over and block shots, uh, he's pretty good getting out onto shooters. Uh, I think teams will probably try to attack him in ball screens, but I, I think he, you know, one unique thing with Victor is like he can play a drop uh, and be in a drop and still get out and contest because he's so long, right? So he can get, again, he can get away with a lot just, just with the, the tools that he has. Um, so uh, I, I do think it'll probably be smart. And I think we'll probably, my guess would be that whatever team drafts him will probably take this approach as well where you'll probably want to play him next to a, a stronger, uh, more physical center, just to sort of save him from some of the matchup, uh, matchup difficulties and just sort of, you know, he's going to take hits playing in the NBA, but like, just, just if, you, if you can save him from having to guard the uh, Embiid's of the world all the time, I think it'll be helpful. Um, so again, and if we're talking about Detroit, I think, you know, they already have some of those guys on the roster who are, you know, really true fives uh, who will allow him to play his natural role if they do get him. So, uh, you know, whether it's Duran or Isaiah Stewart or, or even Wiseman, um, you know, they'll have different looks they can try uh, and allow Victor to kind of play his natural role, which is more of like a roving, you know, giant free safety kind of on the on the weak side. And that was going to be my next question about, you know, just how he meshes with this roster. Not that the Pistons need to worry about any player messing with the roster coming off of a 17-win season, but you talk about him being more of a roamer. Do you kind of see that as maybe maybe a close equivalent being like a, a Jaron Jackson with Memphis where they've paired him with Valachunas or Steven Adams and it kind of just frees Wimby to, you know, like almost pick matchups where, right? And then you have the benefit as well. I mean, he's got that massive wingspan. You know, he could probably, you could probably almost like a semi-drop, but you probably could, like, just how much more effective can he be in some of those coverages given how how big he is? I mean, is he able to do multiple tasks at once maybe compared to your usual big? Yeah, like I said, like, I, I do think, Teams are going to try to attack him, I'm sure, but like I think that's probably the role where um, I think it makes the most sense. It's, it'll be a little bit harder to target him and, and on switches, uh, and even that, you know, again, he's competitive. I think he's going to battle. Um, you know, there'll be quicker guys to be able to get by him, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't view it as like a 
you know, it's not like we're talking about, um, you know, like a Rudy Gobert type of defender who has to be parked, you know, kind of near the rim all the time. Um, it's, you know, you know, Victor is a little bit more versatile than that. And again, I'm, I'm curious to see how teams attack him just because they're, they're going to try things to try to get him out there on the guards and just away from the basket. But, um, yeah, like you said, you know, if you have him in some type of coverage where he's hangs back a little bit more, um, you know, that's fine too. So, uh, I, I, I'm just very curious to see how it's going to play out because there's more, obviously there's more space on, on NBA floor. Um, but I, I, I do think he should be a pretty big net positive defensively, just, just with, um, his ability to just cover so much ground. Like I said, back to the offensive end, kind of fitting with those guys, you know, Jalen Duran, just more of a play finisher right now on the offensive end, dunker spot, offensive rebounds, pick and roll lob guy. Um, Isaiah Stewart, obviously his game, like what, what, what kind of big maybe meshes? And I know, like you already talked about it, Jeremy, he's very versatile. So maybe it doesn't matter. But I mean, is that what it is? He can essentially play with any big man offensively? Or is there kind of a, a prototype of a big man he's next to that you think really um, showcases his skill set even more? The fact that you can kind of mix and match with him is definitely a bonus. Um, but, uh, you know, I think on the flip side, he helps guys like that who aren't floor spacers really because he spaces the floor so you know you can play four out with victor stretching the floor and have you know a jalen duran um setting screens and running um you know he gives victor uh you know if he turns the face he gives him a passing target right and he's so tall he can and i think his passing also was an area that got better this year uh but he'll be able to you know i think having a target for him uh whether it's a high low or or what i I think that uh, is also going to be helpful um but uh, yeah, I, I do think part of the beauty of having having a guy like Victor, who is really more of a perimeter player, who is, just happens to be super super sized, uh, is you can you can try all these different creative lineups. Like you could you could try playing him with two bigs and him as sort of a three. Like it's it's kind of fungible. Um, and and I, again, I'm curious, you know, who his coach will be and how they'll they'll try to use him wherever he lands. But um, yeah, I don't know if there's just, I don't know if there's one ideal thing. I, I just I think that's part of the, the beauty of his of his skill set. This will be the last question before we get to the other prospects. But one thing about Wimby and you kind of touched on it is the perimeter game and uh, you know offensively we you know I know that clip went viral where he took the three and you know this and he goes in for the put back duck. But how much do you buy into the shooting upside? The percentage probably wasn't quite where you want it to be for you know a guy who could be a knockdown shooter. But you just look at his mechanics and obviously the shots unblockable i guess how much does the unblockability of the shot kind of play into uh just you talk to people around the league and whatnot you know people buying into him being a, a shooter at the next level yeah i mean look i think knowing you know the percentages are what they are but like again he's still young for the level uh he's still taking some difficult shots uh and he's you know experimenting which is part of you know what he likes to do uh, he likes to try new stuff in the game and you know i, I definitely view it as, as something that that will he'll add um, just knowing the way that he works. And again, mechanically, his shot looks pretty good. Uh, he'll be able to get it off. It's just, I think, a matter of reps and experience. Um, you know, will he be like a 40% three-point shooter? I don't know. Um, it's possible he could be. I don't know if he necessarily will be, but I, I, I do think the shot-making element is a big part of his upside um, because that's going to be the easiest way for him to to create shots uh, is, 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 is um, those type of looks facing up or, or whatever. So... Uh, I think that'll come and, um, you know, he'll get, I think he'll, he'll gain a little bit of strength. Like, again, he's not, obviously he's sort of narrow. That's sort of his natural body type. I don't think he's going to get like overly muscled. I don't think he wants to, but that's okay. Like the skill level that he has and the motor skills and the agility that he has with his body type, I think is much more important 
from my perspective, for his development than him gaining 30 pounds. As we know, the Pistons only have a 14% chance of the number one overall pick, which is the only spot they're going to get Victor Wimbenyama. So while we have Jeremy, we're going to talk about all the other potential guys that could land with Detroit at two, three, four, and five. And there's a pretty good list. So we're going to go to a short break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Jeremy about some of those guys. All right, we're back with segment two. And it seems like every draft cycle, you eventually get to the point where maybe you're the number two guy who's been locked into that spot. And then conversation shifts eventually, and we've gotten to that point with Brendan Miller and Scoot Henderson. Jeremy, in your latest box draft, you have Brendan Miller as your second overall prospect. But how big, if at all, do you see you know the gap between Miller and Scoot right now? And how much of that it probably depends on just the team that's going to draft there as well. I think for me personally, like I'd probably prefer scoot between the two, just like in a vacuum. But I do think it it does really hinge on um, the team and sort of like what the the need is going to be. Like I think that's kind of where we've landed and um, how we're looking at the draft right now. Um, you know, scoot like obviously came out of the gate with that great great showing against Wembenyama in, in Las Vegas. Um, you know, his season itself, he missed some time with injury. He was a little bit up and down. Uh, I don't think he was as consistent maybe as you might have hoped uh, for a guy who was in his second year in the in the G League. Obviously, he's still young for the level. Their team, I don't think, was quite as gifted this year all around. It just wasn't quite as well constructed. Uh, so that was also, I think, a factor. But I, you know, I, I think the feeling among NBA teams right now is that you know he could have had maybe a better a more impressive season. You know, he, he's gotten a little bit better shooting it, but he has some habits to improve and just tendencies that I think could be better. But again, Scoot is incredibly athletic, super dynamic, going downhill, has, has pretty nice upside, I think, and a pretty solid floor as a guy who's going to be a starter. Um, and, and with the upside to be, you know, a very, very difficult um, scorer to stop. Like you look at the success Darren Fox has eventually had, um, and, and Darren's a little bit bigger, a little bit different type of athlete. Um, you know, Scoot is like a, you know, linebacker type of body and just can like barrel to the basket. It's a little bit different, but uh, I think that mold of player um, takes a little bit of time, but I think Scoot, you know, has the ability to kind of do that and, and be that type of uh, leader for an offense. So you know, if you need a point guard, I think he's a pretty strong choice um, considering what else is on the board. Um, in, in the case of Miller, yeah, I, people kind of came around on him over the course of the year if they weren't already on, on board uh, in terms of scouting, like, I think he, he he didn't come in as like a consensus top pick or anything. You know, I wasn't sure where he was going to be uh, coming in. I just I knew of him and I I'd seen him and I I knew there's a chance he could go lottery, but I, I didn't know how you know how well uh, he was going to play, obviously. And so I think anytime you're the number one offensive option on you know what is more or less the best team in the country for most of the season, you know they were the number one overall seed, putting together a pretty strong year overall. Um, I think it's going to you know, gain you, gives you some momentum, right? If you're the uh, more effectively the most people's pick as the the top college prospect. So, and also being a tall wing, you can shoot. Um, that's, that's attractive. It's, it's an archetype that teams need, need to fill. So um, there are some holes in his profile. You know, his finishing wasn't great. He didn't play that well against top opponents sometimes at times, like top uh, 50 rated teams or whatever, but, um, and he's a little bit older, uh, but uh you know, if you if you're picking two and you have a point guard, like for example Detroit, like if you have Ivy and you have Cunningham, and those are two guys where you're going to want to give the ball to. Uh, it might make sense to take someone who is more of a wing if you don't view, view it as that much separation between those two guys. So, 
I think that's sort of where um, situationally you can see where it might go in, in that direction. So you mentioned archetype. So, you know, regardless of what a team would need, Jeremy, how much does the archetype of Brandon Miller being this, you know, six foot nine wing scorer, you know, two way player, is that way more attractive to you as an evaluator? Do you value someone that fits that archetype of player more than, say, the explosive, undersized, quote-unquote, point guard that is Scoot Henderson? So just in general, regardless of, of fit for a team, do you value that archetype of Brandon Miller higher than that of Scoot Henderson? It's a good question. Um, I mean, look, I think you can never really have too many tall wings. Me, personally, I don't. I wouldn't say I really look at it like that. Like, I... I think everything is case by case. Um, you know, like there, there are obviously roster building preferences that someone might have. Um, and and I, I do lean towards like, I prefer taller guards. I like uh, the idea of having a, you know, if I were just building a team, I, I like the idea of having a big, tall, skilled team. But I, again, it's, you have to kind of look at everything one-on-one um, uh, as, as it is right now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I would just allow that to just strictly determine how I would draft. Um, but the person on my team would have have a say in that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, so that, that I guess that's my answer is that um, you know, generally I think wings are a little bit more plug and play oftentimes, and everyone needs them. And you know, for it to be a quality NBA point guard, um, you know, it's a high bar to clear. And I think Scoop still has some questions with his jumper. Uh, he needs to be a little bit better defensively. You know, we can nitpick all these guys. I guess that'd be my answer. I, I don't have I don't have like a straight answer on, um, you know, if one archetype is necessarily more valuable. I think it's very situational. No, this has been a three-player draft, uh, you know, really for the past, you know, probably three, four months. You know, Rip, he says Brandon Miller. Um, kind of just showed how excellent he is at, at, at shooting at Alabama. Uh, you know, I don't want to say there's a fall-off after three, but how strong do you see maybe that four through maybe eight range, four through nine. It seems like there's so many guys who are sort of being considered um, throughout the rest of, of, of that. Uh, you know, do you see players who could get maybe to that, uh, you know, Miller scoot tier, or do you see maybe a, a, a talent fall off once you get past the top three? Um, I think it's kind of eye of the beholder. Um, there definitely is this big group of guys who I think are all pretty interesting prospects. I don't know that they're like, it's tricky. Like, I don't know if any of them are like necessarily like, 100% like safe bets in right like I some of them are safer than others uh but we're not talking about guys who anyone is like sure or is going to be an all-star or anything or like feels great about but I do think they're interesting players here um uh for, for me like in the in the next group like Anthony Black is probably my favorite of those guys um he's someone who I really really like I, I just like the you know his his size uh the way he contributes on both ends I thought he made really impressive um strides as a scorer this year uh he you know he's gonna have to keep shooting the ball better his catch and shoot game has improved it's not amazing but i just think you can never have too many guys who are uh super smart who can play out of different spots on the floor uh who have the size to switch defensively and get sort of give you flexibility with your matchups i just think he does a lot of winning things and there are not a lot of guys like that who can actually play point guard so like i really like uh, I really like Anthony Black, but um, you know that whole group of guys. I think Jairus Walker, uh, Amen Thompson, uh, Cam Whitmore. Uh, you can throw Taylor Hendricks and you know Asar Thompson. I think some people might say you know could could put him in that group too. Those, that's probably the next group of guys in like that four to ten. I don't think I forgot anybody. Uh, Casey Wallace might be on the periphery of that, but 
Uh, it's a group of interesting players who I think all are talented, and you can argue that any which way. With Anthony Black, Jeremy, do you see him, let's say he ended up with Detroit. One, do you think he would be a good fit there because, you know, we talked about the playmaking and the ball handling of Caden Ivey, but, you know, can he play more off the ball? Like, I, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be. Cons- I personally wouldn't be concerned about it. But is he a guy that needs to have the ball in his hands, operating in ball screens all the time, or do you think he provides a lot of value with that high basketball IQ as a, a kind of a secondary creator? And then also, I guess, kind of ask two questions: How good is the defense? Because that's one thing I've heard talked about a lot with him, and I'm just curious, like how versatile, how good that defense is for Anthony Black. Sure. Yeah. The, the fit in Detroit, I think. To me, it's tricky just because I think he's a little bit redundant with Cunningham. Um, he's not as far along coming into the NBA as Cade was uh, in terms of uh, his his shooting. Um, but, you know, comparable size, comparable probably uh, role deployment on, on both ends. Uh, and I think the fact that Anthony, the fact that his catch-and-shoot uh, game is still uh is going to require a little bit of work i think that makes it a little tricky i think it'd make it for me if i were to try it would make it tricky for me to take him uh just because i don't i don't know if you want to duplicate that skill set there might be more value in um having a different type of player but uh, i i do think that again if you had to like squeeze him in there i think he's smart enough uh, and has the size where it would kind of work like you can kind of budget but it wouldn't be my first pick um for detroit necessarily um to your second point i i do think defensively he's pretty good uh he is very good balance. He has good hands and feet. Uh, I don't. I don't know that he's going to be guarding six foot tiny guards who are super fast. <laughs> like, uh, but I do think he uh, is big and agile enough to kind of bother uh, bother ball handlers. Uh, you can put him on wings. You can kind of definitely can switch him around. There aren't many guys who are like true, true lockdown. Like I'm going to have you go guard Jason Tatum, right? But. Uh, I, I think he's probably that next year guy where he can be a really good team defender and you know still bother and slow down certain matchups. And that was an area I think that everybody kind of feels good about with him after this season. One player I think I was cool on maybe earlier on, but has probably begun to warm up to was Cam Whitmore. And you know, I think you look at the Pistons just maybe to go for upside, but you know, I think if you just got that roster, you also need a guy who could defend and knock down shots that. You know, I think long long term Whitmore's probably a guy who can do both of those things. But where are you as far as him as a prospect and how do you kind of sort through his uneven season at Villanova where, you know, maybe the numbers don't quite represent who he is as a player? You know, they had a weird year, obviously, coaching transition, different team. But I, I think um I'm kind of in the same place on him as I was before the season. Like the game I saw him play, he wasn't great, but the the stuff that he can do is still um, it's kind of a unique package. Uh, he's a very good athlete, obviously. Uh, doesn't have incredible length, uh, but he he definitely is going to make your team more athletic. He's going to be able to get downhill. I think he'll shoot enough that the threat of his shot will allow him to attack closeouts, and then you know once he gets ahead of steam, going to the basket, uh, that's a good thing for him. So um, his overall offensive game uh, as sort of like a three four, he'd be undersized to play the four, but probably is more of a true three, uh, you know, plus the up, upside he's shown in terms of creating his own shot a little bit. Um, I think that's all stuff to like, uh, ultimately. And, um, you know, again, considering what else is in the lottery, like the way that he scores and what he brings is a little bit different than all these other guys. Um, and I, I do like him as a fit for Detroit. Cause I, I think for the Pistons, one prerogative, I think should be getting more athletic. Uh, you know, if you're picking from this next group of guys, like you need shooting, you need, uh, more athleticism, you know, Ivy was a step in that direction into being a good transition team. 
Uh, you know, Cade is not like a high, high elite athlete by NBA standards. He's, he's good, but not like, you know, his physicality is not like the first thing you think of when you think of Cade. And then, you know, obviously they have these other bigs. So uh, I, I think having another guy who can get downhill, a guy who can make a shot, I, th- I think would fit. Um, so yeah, Whitmore, I, I think his, his floor and it, his floor is pretty, I think, solid. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be like a number one true option because I don't know feel-wise, passing-wise, uh, that he's like that type of guy. But I do think he has a pretty clear pathway to uh, a successful role and probably being a, a starter if, he, if, uh, if his development goes well. A guy I got to ask you about is Jairus Walker. He seems like every episode we talk about the draft, we kind of overlook him. We don't end up asking or talking about him. Uh, but I see him like number four on a lot of boards, Jeremy, and a, a lot of people who are very high on him. Can you kind of just give us the scout on Jairus Walker? And then also, you know, obviously your personal thoughts on what his ceiling is, what he fit really well with this team. Um, I've heard like defensive versatility. He can guard one through five. I'm like, well, I mean, if he can truly do that, that's that's pretty valuable. So um, just the, the Jairus Walker experience, I guess. I view him as, I think, I think the reason why he's ranked high is, is more because I think the, the floor with him is pretty bankable. There aren't that many guys with his type of body uh, he's he's just naturally a very strong guy. I don't know if I view him as like a true like five position defender because there aren't very many of those guys, and he is a little bit heavier. Like just with that body type, I don't know if I trust him. I would say like I would expect him to be switching on a point guards all the time, but he does give you that versatility in that I think he'll be able to defend both forward spots, switch a little bit maybe in a pinch onto smaller guys, and then uh, there might be situations where he can play some small ball five just because he's so long. Um, so. There just aren't a ton of guys who can um, let you play small, both offensively and defensively, like that. And and I think he, uh, as long as his shooting, I think that's a key offensive uh, development area. You know, he's been a hesitant three point shooter in the past. Um, seemed to be getting a little bit better by the end of the season and more confident. Uh, that's a key area for growth. Uh, Jarris has always been a very good passer, also, which I'm curious to see how that will manifest. Uh, you know in his pro career uh, transition. Yes. Half court, you know, maybe you can put him in short role situations, sort of use his, his vision, but that is a component of his game that I think maybe didn't always shine through in college that it's there. If you go look at him in high school, you know, making uh, some pretty impressive passes. Uh, he also used to be very turnover prone, but I think he's harnessed a little bit. Like uh, I, I think at Houston, we saw Jarrett's kind of buy into kind of being that glue guy. And again, maybe that's not the type of player we always talk about as someone who would take top five based on upside. But uh, I do think he's relatively safe. Uh, and if he, you know, again, if he goes and crushes some shooting workouts, and teams are like, "Oh, well, this this guy might be able to do all these things pretty quickly," um, you know, think about like how Patrick Williams went number four. Again, hasn't maybe hasn't totally lived up to that slot. He hasn't quite delivered on that yet. But you know, he was the hot name in that draft, uh, and so I, I think Jarrett's his tools and his um, you know, basic skill framework and versatility uh, are appealing, uh, particularly with, uh, in today's NBA, the way teams want to play. Jeremy, we'll let you go on this one. Uh, the Thompson Twins, I think, are probably you know, two of the most polarizing prospects in this draft, especially when you look at players who you know, seem like pretty clear. I, you know, I won't say locks, but they seem likely to go in the, in the top 10. Uh, sort of what's your evaluation of them, sort of sorting through you know, them playing for overtime elite and between the two, which one do you think would probably fit better for Detroit? You know, just given that maybe Ah Mendesine is having more upside, but Asar is probably the more wing player of the two, so to speak. Where those guys fall, I think, is going to be one of the more interesting storylines as we get closer to the draft and we learn more about 
workouts and uh, you know who is drafting where. Obviously, the upside I think is there. They're both athletic, obviously athletic tall wings. Um, always going to be an interesting thing. Um, Amen is more of the uh, sort of more of a I think wants to be also a point guard. Um, you know, has great speed in the open court, uh, unique passing ability. Uh, the upside is there, um, but he's not a very good shooter. Um, he's not, I, I think Asar is probably the more, like more of a true wing. He embraces defense a little bit more. Uh, he's more aggressive as a scorer in the half court. Uh, and I think he made more strides as a shooter. So it kind of depends on how you want to look at it. Like if you're going to argue upside, then you might argue for a men. If you're going to argue, uh, for a floor and like maybe ready, like being closer to actually giving you minutes, uh, it might be Asar. Uh, I've heard it argued both ways from, from teams. Um, but I, I do think their range, you know, the, it's probably four through the back of the lottery. Like I, I do think it can go a number of different ways because they are both facing a really big jump in level, obviously being older players uh, playing for OTE. Uh, now all of a sudden you're going to go play in the NBA from day one. Um, it's, it's a big, big, big change. That's hard to quantify. So speaking of the fit with Detroit, like I, I almost think Asar might be more of a fit because they, might want a more defensive minded, bigger wing. Um, the fact he's further along as a shooter and doesn't need the ball as much, I think is probably a bonus. Uh, depends on where they're picking. Um, but, uh, you know, some of what I think some of what, uh, in, in a perfect world, what Amen might bring to a team, uh, it might be a little bit redundant with what, you know, you're hoping Jaden Ivey is going to become right. Like, yeah, you could have two really fast guys playing in the open court. It'd be pretty crazy, but, uh, at the same time, you know, you've got Cunningham, who's more of a half-court oriented player, and you, you kind of have to sometimes thread the needle a little bit. Um, and, and again, Kate is someone who also is going to warrant having the ball a lot. So uh, if I had to you know, pick for Detroit, my, like, I, I think Asar fits better. Um, if, you, if you were gonna, just going to look at it as a duality of those two. Last question, and then we do. We will let you go, Jeremy. It'll be a quick one. It, the Pistons are on the clock at four. The top three goes off the way we all expect. So Whitmore's there, Amin, Asar, Jarris Walker, your guy, Anthony. Who would you choose if you're the Detroit Pistons at number four after missing out on Victor, Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson? I think I like Whitmore as a fit there. I'd probably be between Whitmore and Walker, um, just, just based on what that roster needs just considering I, I don't necessarily think there's so much separating all those guys that it would be like the clear cut like you have to take this guy regardless for them like their situation is unique just because you've invested in these high lottery picks and you want them to you know have the best possible environment uh to succeed um uh, so i think i, I probably lean went more because i think they need scoring you know walker you, you've already got enough bigs where you might be able to kind of like figure that out as you go um but I think Whitmore would give them a dynamic they probably don't have in terms of, you know, a guy who might be able to eventually get, you know, 18, 20 points a game um, and, and really put pressure on the defense going downhill. Um, and, 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 you know, hopefully someone who you can use different ways and will also someone who's athletic enough to kind of run in transition with, uh, with Ivy. So, uh, that's what I'd say, just like without having thought about it too hard. All right, guys, we are going to go to a short break. We're going to come back. Omari and I are going to stay around. We're going to talk NBA playoffs. But Jeremy, this is the he is he's always busy. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, you guys know this time of year he's super busy. So, again, thank you so much to Jeremy Wu for joining us uh, real quick. Let everybody know. I, obviously, you're on ESPN. We all know how to find ESPN. But your Twitter, socials, whatever else, wherever you're putting out work and content, Jeremy, please let the listeners know. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Wu. It's just my name. Uh, I, I no longer have a blue check. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Awesome. Jeremy, again, thank you so much for making some, some time for us today. Uh, follow Jeremy Wu on, on Twitter. You have a lot of great draft content, you know, coming up in the lottery in a couple of weeks and then, of course, through the draft as well. And again, uh, get some sleep, man. I know it's going to be a long couple of weeks, a couple of months ahead. So, again, we appreciate you coming on. All right. We're back here with segment three. And I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this one, Bryce. I thought this first round was like, the best first round of the playoffs I've seen in a while. Like, I was just blown away almost every single night by at least one of the games. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about this, and I think our guy, Keith Black Trudeau, what what years did he send back at you? I saw he sent two years at you. Um, he said 2014, which I watched in 1993, which I did not watch, <laughs> given that I am... 28 years old, so <laughs> I'm about to go back and watch some of those games. So you were, not, I was only six, uh, even in 1993. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have, I've had a blast. You know, we don't always. Here's the nice thing. Oh, we're gonna, I'm gonna get crushed for this. The nice thing about the Pistons not being in the playoffs is like we get to just watch basketball, right? Like, and and this is even more so for you. You watch Pistons games, but you're always writing and taking notes. Like I've seen this firsthand. We we. What went out to uh, a restaurant to watch the game together, and the whole time you're just taking notes. Like it wasn't even like we got to enjoy it. Even whenever I'm doing, it's a lot of the same stuff, not even to the level of you. So what I like is, I watched this Warriors King series, Amari, literally just as a fan. I could care less who won, who lost, what happened. It didn't matter. And so it's just fun being a fan sometimes. And on top of it, as you're saying, we got incredible games over the past two weeks. Yeah, it's funny. Like I don't even. Like I'm not even on Twitter doing a lot of these games. Like I, you yeah, know, I, I'm you know, like like last year to make it a point to like not really scroll to TL uh, and just like kind of go off benches to sweet here and there. Just you know, I'm on Twitter enough, but you know, it's just nice not even just be on Twitter, just like watch basketball, just take it in, uh, not have to follow like a larger discussion. That uh, man, like I'm, I'm even looking at like round two, like you know, the day this episode publishes tomorrow, uh, we'll get like Lakers, Warriors, which. I mean, like LeBron is what thirty nine and Steph's thirty five. We can have another chapter in like their battle. It's just like it's like being a kid in like a, a candy shop. These games, man, like it's just been insane. Yeah, that's what's funny too is I I feel like the urge to tweet. Do you ever get that? I'm watching these games. I'm like, man, I should be like tweeting something out right now. And so I'll, like you know, Trey Lyles comes up or something like that. And so I'll tweet about him. Who he did have a, a decent series for the Kings. Um, he, did. He, he looked pretty good, but no, nah, it, it is. Um, the other thing, Omari, was one through eight seeds all represented in this semifinals with eight teams left. So we have a one, a two, a three, a four, all the way down. And it's just, it's crazy, the upsets that we got. The Warriors and Lakers is interesting, right? Because they're very talented teams that got to those points in kind of weird ways. The Miami Heat, Omari, not only, like, they lost a play-in game at home and then won, and then they upset the Milwaukee Bucks. I know that, you know, Giannis was injured for a couple games or whatever, it was a game and a half or two and a half. I, I don't know. It's just, it's been so much fun, but it's it's something, man. I it, It's a great time to be an NBA fan. I do know that. Yeah, especially with Tyler Hero being out. And yeah, I know, yes. you know, when he first got that injury, they said he'd be out four to six weeks, which, I mean, I'm just like, no matter how deep Miami goes, he's probably off for the playoffs. And just to see Jimmy Butler kind of hit like that next level as we've seen him do in past playoff performances, I think is kind of what makes that special. You know, I think Jimmy, like, I feel like Jimmy's legacy is tough to like quantify, yes. I guess. Yes. Because he is not, like, you know, like he is like borderline all NBA during the regular season, but he's not quite like on that. 
like LeBron, Steph, Giannis tier. But then you get to the playoffs and he just becomes like this absolute killer. And I think I saw a stat like he hit more three pointers in like the first round than he hit <laughs> all in, like, season. The last, like, yeah, yeah, like it was just like insane. Like he was turning like a three point shooter. And, uh, you know, it kind of creates fun debates about, you know, competitiveness. And, you know, I think when you get to the playoffs, you can really see what kind of separates the, the good players from like the great players to the elite players. And Jimmy Butler is like absolutely elite. You know, uh, I, Mike Milwaukee has some stuff going on behind the scenes. Like another story came out about, you know, Mike Woodhoser tragically losing his brother which is really sad and of course Giannis you know uh missed a few games as well but even so I mean an 8-1 upset is just insane I mean Milwaukee won 37 games uh 57 games and they have been banged up all year uh I don't think anybody really wants to <laughs> face Miami uh you know you, like you have, you have Eric Spolstra who you know first is one of the most accomplished coaches ever one of the best exes in those coaches uh teams are always prepared Shout out to Parity. I just like I'll just say that. Shout out to Parity. Shout out to there not being a huge gap between these one seeds and these eight seeds or two and sevens or whoever. Um, you know, just the Lakers and the Warriors like pulling off upsets, technically pulling off upsets. And I kind of put that in quotes because I think if Anthony Davis didn't miss how many games, he missed like twenty or thirty games, and uh, the Warriors were banged up. Uh, they're probably higher seeded, and they're not really the seeds that <laughs> they're being shown as on paper, but. You know, like, again, like I'm just happy we're past the super team era and we could like watch these teams actually battle and compete. I think just the intrigue level in the playoffs is just something we haven't seen. You know, like we'll be fighting this last few years. We just haven't seen that level of parity where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen over the next month or so. Well, and we talked about this with the Western Conference anyway. We knew this going in that, you know, like the Suns as the four seed or whatever were a lot of people's betting favorites. And, you know, the Nuggets, when we're recording this, are actually up 1-0 with a really impressive win on Saturday. But... You brought up a good point. Like the Lakers, Anthony Davis missed games, and their true team didn't come together till the deadline, and they still have one of the greatest players to ever play in LeBron. Same thing with the Warriors. So I don't know that we should overreact to this year and like, yep, this is going to start happening all the time. We're going to see all these upsets. You're talking about two of the greatest players ever in Steph and LeBron and their teams pulling these quote-unquote upsets when both teams battled injuries all year. Andrew Wiggins missed how many games at the end of the season? And it took a 50 bomb from Steph in Sacramento for them to pull this off. So I do... I do think it. We, we should be a little bit slow to think that like this is just going to become the norm. I want to revisit the Jimmy Butler thing because you bring up an interesting idea, Omari. Jimmy Butler, six-time All-Star, has never been better than All-NBA third team. And that's no slouch. Like That's nothing to scoff at, but four times All-NBA third team. He's never been an All-Defensive first team. But he has been five times second team was most improved in 2015 and the Steel's leader in 2021. So like you say, it's like he's going to be one of the hardest players to really quantify because he doesn't have an MVP. He doesn't even have a second team All-NBA, let alone a first team All-NBA. But he's one of these guys that everybody knows when the playoffs starts. He just gets buckets. And so, and I can use it here because they call him Jimmy Buckets. And what was the stat I saw the other day? He didn't, he's never had a 40 point regular season game of Mari, but he has like 10 or something in the playoffs. Like there, there's these narratives that get created sometimes and it's based off one or two games. With Jimmy, it's, it's real and it, it happens and it's like such a large sample size that you can't even doubt it. I did see he was like questionable for, for Tuesday night's game though from the ankle injury. Yeah, I mean he he banged up his ankle pretty bad and I saw a report that that ankle spoiled up 
pretty terribly <laughs> after. So, you know, like, I guess we'll just have to see with that. And, you know, and I mean, again, like, I think it's going to be really hard to kind of figure out how to rank Jimmy. At this point, he's probably a Hall of Fame player. I mean, he took Miami to the finals in 2020, and now you have this run now. Uh, the Miami Heat was just an interesting team to me, I think, all summer because, for one, they really did not have the depth you usually see from a contending team. Like, you have Butler, you have Adebayo, you know, those those are your top two guys, solo hero, uh, you know, like your, your second best scorer. Uh, but then just from, like, a depth standpoint, uh, they just kind of rely on guys stepping up. I mean, you know, Kyle Lowry, I mean, he's clearly in the highlight of his career. Um, he's, you know, put together some, some good playoff games, really helped him. But I remember Gabe Vincent, uh, hitting like I think he had like seven or eight threes in on those last games against the Pistons that he's just been on fire since. And, uh, just for them to get those contributions, it's like them. There's like a handful of NBA teams who just always have random guys who you know somehow become good players. And I feel like the Miami Heat. Uh, it's almost like they go into seasons expecting just some of these guys who aren't very well known to be able to step up. Uh, you know whether it's like a Duncan Robinson or whoever Max else. Struce. Max Struess. Uh, they just always have these guys. Like, like I don't know how they do it. Uh, you always hear about heat culture and whatnot. To me, I think it just shows like the value of knowing your culture and knowing what players fit. Uh, you kind of look at that infamous practice with uh, Jimmy Butler when he was still back in Minnesota, and I think he beat the, the starters of like the third team or whatnot. But you know, he finds a team that fits his game perfectly and understand them. Like the mentality is there. And what I think he started there at 34, he just had his best season. He had his best regular season, uh, you know, like this past year. And if there's anything about the playoffs, I think especially with this one, I think with that parity, you're able to see just, you know, with teams lean back on their schemes and, you know, just knowing their personnel, knowing who can step up. Like, that really makes a difference when it comes down to it. Like, it doesn't matter who you are on paper. At the end of the day, you just got to have some dogs. Well, I'll be honest. This playoffs has made me believe even more in my thought process with the Pistons team building in that, you don't have to build this like perfectly constructed roster that you would say is a champion. Like, just build a really good roster, Amari. I'm interested to see mm-hmm. what you think about this. Get a roster together that gives you a chance every year. Like, that's what I want. I feel like a lot of times fans want this roster that's just perfectly cookie cutter. And I just don't think you can recreate the Warriors of everybody fits together perfectly. No, give me a really good roster. You, you said it. You got to get a couple stars. There's no doubt. You got to have a culture and then you fill it out with really good role players, but you just give yourself a chance every single year. We're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to get some home court and we're going to give ourselves a chance. And maybe there's an injury. Maybe somebody has a bad series, whatever it is. And just, I don't want the Pistons to have one perfect season with a chance to win an NBA championship. I would like to see Troy Weaver and the organization build out a roster where they have 10, 15 years of they're in the dance every single time they have a chance and you know they're just giving themselves a chance every year. So that's where I think I disconnect with a lot of people as I talk about building this Pistons roster. But to me, how the playoffs have played out so far really to me, that looks like what you want to do and with, with parity and the way the NBA is going. Yeah, because most teams really only have, like, maybe two players who are just, like, the guys, right? Uh, sometimes you get lucky, you're able to have more. But like you look at Denver, right? It's Jokic and it's Jamal Murray. Uh, you look at Miami, it's Jimmy Butler. And it's Bam. I mean, really, it's, it's, just, it's just been Jimmy. I mean, I don't know if anybody else is really, like, I think he's, like, 85% responsible for everything that they've done so far. You know, you even look at a team like a, Milwaukee, right? They just like completely fizzled out. So there's really no perfect science. There's really no, uh, you talk about chasing certain archetypes, or you need this or you need that. Really, you just need talent and then you just figure things out as you go. 
Uh, you know, which is why I still even go back to like really go Baron Carlton Towns and Cap missed so much of the season. I just don't think they ever really had a chance to develop the chemistry that they needed. Uh, I mean, well, you know, clearly based on Donnie kind of fell apart to at the end, but you know, I would just say, uh, like, yeah, just get guys who fit your system, get guys who are competitive, who are along for the ride, right? Like they're locked in, they believe in what you're doing. You know, I think in the long run, you kind of see the teams that have that, that kind of have that self-belief where you could have a really uneven regular season to get to the playoffs and that self-belief kind of takes over. And, you know, that that that, that trust in the coach, trust in the scheme, trust in your teammates, all those things kind of take over. And uh, it really makes a difference sort of in those final moments. You know, we saw the Memphis Grizzlies unravel. And I still think their rebuild overall is with a huge success story. Like people will say uh, they got too sidetracked this past season. And, and they did. They did. You know, like they were immature. They did a lot of stuff they shouldn't have done. Uh, but I would still argue they're not even really that far away from you know winning the ring if they just get that one trade right or this and that. So for the Pistons, absolutely, you have Cade, you have Ivy, you have Durant. Uh, you know, you have some players who can step into you know f- fulfill certain roles. Talk about Isaiah Stewart just with the toughness, and you know, eventually maybe some of the shooting he'll be able to bring, and just get that talent floor up. Right? Uh, you know, we can even look at you know I don't know how much you thought the Lions draft, but they just take guys who just fit what they're trying to do, and you know, it's like well. Maybe these guys don't fit, but you don't know what guys can become down the road, and you don't know who could who could step up. Uh, so shout out Parity, and uh, you know I think this playoffs is a very big vote of confidence for just the idea of building around culture more so than maybe you know chasing a particular fit or particular archetype for your team. Well, and I think the other thing it's shown us, Omari, is get your stars, get your culture, and then find guys that are willing to take the role that you need them to fill on your team. And Wes and I text about this. Bruce Brown. I love Bruce Brown. And he's found a role and he fills his role. And I don't want to turn this into the Troy Weaver traded him for nothing conversation or whatever, but like, what would Bruce Brown's role be with this Pistons team over the last three years be anyway? Now, I'm not saying that makes it okay that he got traded for nothing. I'm not saying that, Omari. I'm just saying this Pistons organization would have asked him to play a role that isn't what he's doing in Denver, and he probably wouldn't be very successful in it. Trey Lyles is another example, Omari. A lot of Pistons fans hated Trey Lyles because of how many shots. You know, I was like, Trey Lyles does some good things. He goes to a Kings team where that role makes a little more sense because they're trying to win games, and he does a lot of really good things for him. My, my point is, I think I've seen in these plays, like, Yes, you got to find guys eventually. Once you have the stars, once you have your culture, you got to find those guys that really fit into these roles and they make sense. And there's a lot of those guys in the league. Like, again, Trey Lyles had a really good season for the Sacramento Kings and some really good moments in the playoffs. So I think that's when you start to really hone in on those guys is once you have your stars and your culture established. Yeah, Trey was playing a lot of small by five in Detroit just because, you know, it was a COVID season, so you kind of had that run and then you had some injuries as well. And, you know, I think, you know, you go back to Bruce Brown, Trey, you know, he asked players to do too much and not necessarily play to their strengths, you're going to have that problem. Like, yeah, like Bruce, is he probably your lead point guard? Probably not. Uh, you know, you put him next to Jokic. And, yeah, I mean, again, he's Jokic. So I think anybody can play next to him. Uh, but now it's just, okay, you knocked out open threes and defend and do some secondary playmaking. And now it's like, oh, okay. Like he's shooting, uh, like he's extremely efficient, but it's just because we simplified his role. We can even talk. Maybe it's going to be a little bit thorny. Uh, but the most recent example was Sadiq Bay, right? Where he just goes to yes. Atlanta and it's just, you just have to catch a shoot. And it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's, I'm Sadiq Bay. That's what I do, you know? And he's not second guessing himself. Uh, he's just, you know, catching a notch in threes. And I think what kind of happened is that the Pistons, you know, I don't think they were at fault for having him do, you know, maybe more that was outside of his range because you want to give players a chance to, you know, spread their wings. But, 
you know, again, I think you see he goes to Atlanta. He's on a rebuild situation. He's with a playoff team and they have a very clear hierarchy of pecking order. He can just go in there and he only has to be responsible for two things, right? Try to play defense, knock on open threes. And he has some good games for him, right? Like still maybe more of a role player in so than I used to talk about him where he, he has some star potential, but still a very important role. And I think role really, like we get to the playoffs, like that's everything. Yeah, and I think this team just isn't and hasn't been in a situation where those guys really shine, right? And and we all get caught, I get caught up in it, right? Like I've been uh, as disappointed in Isaiah Livers this year, but a guy like Isaiah Livers probably isn't going to look great in his role that you need him. One, everybody's been playing a role too high, Amari. We just you just outlined it with Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay went to Atlanta and was exactly what a lot of people said we felt like he was which is probably the first guy off the bench, second guy off the bench. I think like 66% of his field goal attempts with Atlanta were three-point attempts. And now, you know what else, Amari? Talking about his defense, he has more energy to play defense now because he's not taking that offensive load. So I just don't think Detroit's been in a situation to, one, highlight those guys in those roles, or two, even let them fill those roles because everybody's had to play a role too high. Now, I think as the roster, hopefully you have your stars, Jaden and Cade and some of these guys. Now it starts to work itself out. The hierarchy works itself out just a little bit more. I know we got sidetracked. It is a Pistons podcast, so I guess it can't be sidetracked if we start talking about the Pistons. But before we close it down here, Amari, let's get some predictions. So we're doing this Monday afternoon. Some game ones have been played. So, you know, excuse us. We cheated just a little bit. Let's start in the East, Amari. We got the 76ers and Celtics. They haven't played a game one. They'll play it tonight, but, you know, we've recorded before that. What do you have in that series? It's the Celtics. I think if MB, you know, were healthy, this would, for me, it would just be a game seven coin flip, honestly. Uh, you know, because I think Boston, like a lot of their defensive strength is just, you know, with their bigs and Embiid is bulletproof. So what are you going to do? Uh, but without Embiid, you need James Harden to step back to that number one role that he really hasn't really he hasn't been that guy for a few years. Like I just, I just don't see how this season goes. This series goes longer than six, unless they're able to at least get one of the first four games, and you get him beat back maybe in game four, and then maybe that gives you some momentum. But that's a pretty easy Boston pick for me, just because of Embiid's injury. I got Celtics in five. I agree with you on a lot of that. Uh, the other Eastern one. So this is the one. Game one has already been played in New York. Miami stole it. Um, so Miami's up one zero on the Knicks. Where do you have this series going, Amari? So this is another one where you have the injury and, you know, he's got uh, Julius Randle, the ankle injury. Like, what exactly does he come back? New York should win this. I think if they're healthy, they win this series. They're just a lot deeper. And, you know, but at the same time, Jimmy Butler is the best player in that series. And that means a lot. You have a lot of players for Miami who have been red hot and have just really stepped up. So that's tough. You know, I want to go... I think I'm still going to go New York because I'm assuming Brandon will be back for games three or four. But I could absolutely see this one going seven games, and I have no confidence in that pick. I got Heat in six, man. Like, I don't okay. need to be a Knicks hater, but there's just – I feel like they've capped out their ceiling right now, and there's – as much as I don't want to root for Jimmy Butler, which most of the listeners understand this, <laughs> bro, I got, my wife didn't watch an NBA game all season long. I got the Pistons on every night. I just I have the Heat game on Sunday afternoon. She is locked in, just watching. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't. Even, she doesn't even <laughs> hide it, bro. So, um, I still got to stick with what I truly think will happen. Heat in six. All right, Suns Nuggets. That's another one. Nuggets up one zero. I, I will be honest. 
having game one already played, this is going to change my, it's not going to change who I pick, but it's changing how many games I would have said if I would have predicted before game one. You know, I don't have confidence in this Phoenix team. And it's weird because, okay, like you have Devin Booker, you like you have Def, you have Kevin Durant, obviously. You would think that that would give you a really high floor. But when I watch them, they just don't inspire confidence in me. Uh, they look like a team that's still figuring things out. And that's because they are still figuring things out. I think, you know, Kevin Durant maybe played one or two regular season games. And just from like a talent floor standpoint, like you're good enough to win. But you don't want to be figuring things out in the playoffs. That's just not a good position to be in. And this never Nuggets team is all the way locked in. I think Jamal Murray, uh, like another player we talk about who can level up his game in the playoffs, uh, you know, that kind of makes a big difference. They have their system. They have depth. Uh, to me, like I just see Denver getting this one in, in like five or six games. I just don't have a lot of confidence in Phoenix. I love it because we're going to be opposite a lot. I still got right. I still got the Suns in seven. All right, the the one that I'm most intrigued by because I just think this is going to be a lot of fun. Steph is my all time favorite player to watch. We got the Lakers and Warriors. We talked about it. LeBron versus Steph, two legends of the game. Where are you going with this one? This one is tough because not only do I think they're pretty evenly matched. Like, I think this Lakers team is better than Sacramento was just because they're just significantly more battle-tested. They're just also so stylistically different where Golden State's Golden State and then the Warriors, I'm sorry, the Lakers are a little bit more physical. They're a little bit more bully ball, I think. Uh, I think LeBron and AD, uh, you know, just from like a size standpoint, like, like yeah, like oh, like the Warriors have Draymond and I know playing teams against other teams who are bigger has never really mattered for them. But I just look at what AD's been doing really just all season. I mean, you know, he I voted him all NBA because I just thought he was just absolutely phenomenal on both sides of the ball. And that's going to be tough. Like, I can't even really make a prediction. I would take Golden State simply because, uh, you know, Golden State and Steph Curry in general are like the, the Tom Brady Patriots for me where I just can't bet against them. Like, they're just, that track record for success is just too strong. And we've just seen them uh, clutch out so many tough wins that I would lean on that. But this is a really good, really deep, really balanced Lakers team. Uh, just a complete turnaround from where they started off at the beginning of the year. And I got, I, I mean, I, like, I just think that's the biggest coin flip that I've seen in the playoff series in a while. But I'm, I'm going to go Golden State in seven, but I think it comes down to the last few possessions. All right. So we're going to see us be the same on this one. I'm going to go Warriors in seven as well. So I think. We both have the Celtics roughly the same range, Warriors in seven, and then the other two series were completely opposite. If not, all I want is seven games of that series, Omari. Again, yeah. this is what's nice about this, not being a fan of anything, is you can just root for that type of stuff. So give us seven, a game seven. I would believe it would be at the Chase Center. LeBron versus Steph, maybe each of their last chance to get there. I don't know, the way they're playing, maybe they got five more years in them. But that that would be absolutely epic. So uh, let us know. Leave a review. You know, tweet at us. Leave it in the DB comments on Freak website, wherever. Let us know where you guys are at in all these series. But we will be back next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Jeremy Wu breaking it down for us. Some NBA playoffs talk. Omari, take it away, my guy. All right. Uh, big shout out to our audio producer, Robin Chan. Our executive producer, Anjadette Delgado. And our sports editor, Kirk Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes Davenport, as always. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.